This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Harvesting Nature podcast, episode number five. Today we're going to be talking about braising and roasting game, uh, more specifically roasting game birds, and I do a little talking about uh, bird hunting and uh, some cool events going on out in Corey's neck of the woods. We'll touch base on some cool braising and roasting recipes. My name is Justin Townsend and the editor-in-chief over at Harvesting Nature, and this is our fifth episode, which uh, we're starting to see grow in popularity, which is really exciting and keeps us driving to put out more great content. So thank you to all the new listeners and the continuing listeners and those that are giving us those star ratings on uh, the different platforms all across the podcast world. I guess we should do intros first. Hey, this is uh, Dustin Carroll, co-host. Uh, thanks for everyone who's back. And uh, really excited about these new microphones we got. Yeah, they sound really they good. Sound way better. But uh, we got Corey, too, on the line, dialing in from uh, from uh, sunny Pennsylvania. How's it going? Good. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to do a short intro? <laughs> Corey Sly, managing editor of... Harvesting Nature and uh, Pennsylvania resident. Well, we'll go into it. So, uh, I, I I want us to touch a little bit on on pheasant hunting. We recently, so Colin, myself, and my daughter went on a quick dove hunting trip up in the Everglades. I want to touch a little bit on that, and then sort of any other 
cool non uh, waterfowl bird stories. I don't want to be completely exclusive of the waterfowl, but in this episode, I want to kind of focus on the upland game birds versus huge amount on the migratory birds. Pheasant hunting wise, I I have little to none uh, pheasant experience. Growing up in Oklahoma, we have. Uh, there's not a whole lot of pheasants in southern Oklahoma. If they were, they were usually farm-raised, and then people would go out and release them and hunt them or train dogs, do that. If you got kind of up to northern part of Oklahoma and into Kansas, it was more prevalent and more popular and just kind of not had a lot of experience with a dove, though. Dove was probably, as a kid growing up and still continued as an adult, probably one of my most favorite seasons just for the fact that you can really easily get out there and just kind of relax and hunt doves and they usually move around pretty well in the morning and the evening time and also the ability to get new hunters out there so like I said recently we went up to the Everglades and um, one of the pieces of land that we like to go hunt it's uh, some state management land up there and they have during the dove season they have specific weekends where they have dove fields there and they plant these throughout the year with uh, with different crops that produce seeds and it kind of creates a a nice little natural habitat for the dove. But the thing that's really cool about it is that they don't allow hunting on those fields during the days when it's not open just specifically for dove hunting. So you can't go up there on another day and sit on this field. It's generally like one or two Saturdays a month that it's open and then they do like quota permits. So first come first show, you go out there and you get your quota permit and do a little dove hunting, which is cool. So you get a lot of people set up in the fields and move around. And during the middle part of the day, it gets pretty warm. So unfortunately, you can't really sit around all day kind of in the field. You have to force yourself to take a break midday, which is good because it actually does. I mean, let's see. When we were up there, it got up to about 85 degrees, well, I think. And the humidity factor too. Yeah, and the humidity's not great. The sun blaring down, humidity is really high. So you kind of strive to take that afternoon break, which was really cool because we got to do that. I think the highlight of that trip for me is that I got to take my seven-year-old daughter and it was her, her first hunting trip pretty much since she was a little baby and was just kind of she was kind of there with us camping as I went out hunting and then came back to camp. But she got to walk around in the field with us and sit with us. And uh, we also did some rabbit hunting that evening as well. She uh, she got really excited. Um, almost the opposite reaction of what I thought. I was a little nervous going into it because she's, uh, she's got a really super kind heart, but she has a passion for eating game meat. So <laughs> she uh, she did connect the dots with, you know, seeing the dove and the rabbits as a source of food. So she wasn't really sad whenever, as we were shooting them, essentially. So uh, it was a neat experience. I think it's important to have your kids involved in that. You know, I think, I think what the first time we were shooting rabbits back in Colorado, I remember my kids, I'd say, Hey, gather around, check this out. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're looking for. Here's why we're doing it. And uh, they really didn't have a problem eating it. What they saw was a cute bunny before. And then they, they would taste it later. And uh, I, I just think it's important to involve the kids at an early age. Yeah, my daughter's the same way. We go out squirrel hunting, and then she watches me clean the squirrels and everything and helps cook and, and eats eats it. So it's she sees the whole process. She's not grossed out by it by any means. She watches me skin out the deer and everything. So 
she knows exactly where her food's coming from. And I, I think that's key. And I think you and I and, and a lot of the other writers have done a, a really good job of portraying that message of like the importance of, of getting kids involved. And at, at an age where they, they sort of see it. And then once, as they get older, kind of roll it in so they comprehend it, just facing, you know, a lot of people in the generations ahead of them, both, you know, in their teenage years and then on to their early twenties or all that, those, there's a lot of disconnect from a lot of the food and being able to introduce our kids kind of at a young age is a, a good point to sort of close that loop and bring it back full circle. Definitely. So Corey, and uh talk a little bit about this uh this veterans pheasant hunt you got coming up. This is our second annual veterans pheasant hunt. Uh we're holding it in Hartstown, Pennsylvania. I, I started it last year. My uh my brother in law, Kevin, he's a he was a major in the Marines. I saw like we would go to deer camp and or or do other things hunting and, and he couldn't come because you know, he was on a tour or he was training or, or something and it and he he missed a couple Christmases and everything, and I saw that, and I I know how that would have affected me. So I wanted to do, I wanted to do something to uh, help, you know, to to give him another opportunity for the opportunities that he's mi- he missed, and uh, everything just kind of fell into place. When, when I was in high school, I used to hunt uh, with a friend. His his dad raised pheasants and had a pheasant pheasant farm, and about two hundred acres of property that was like managed it in a way for prime pheasant habitat and so I, I knew someone that had the property to do it and then through my writing for harvesting nature and go wild i met anthony pace of freedom hunters and uh, what freedom hunters does is they pair veterans uh, with opportunities to hunt and fish to kind of you know away the non-military to give back to our veterans and they also do it for families of veterans and uh, wounded warriors and, and, you know, all facets of, of military. And uh, so I had the place. Uh, Freedom Hunters was my financial backing. And then my next hurdle was getting like dogs and dog handlers and every everything so we could, you know, have have a successful hunt. Because by, you know, Doc hasn't had a, a dog in the last couple of years. So I needed to find that. So I called our, the president of our local, uh, pheasants forever chapter, Ed Moss. And I mean, without hesitation, he's like, yep, we're in, we've been looking for a way to do a, a veterans hunt. So I had all, the, all the pieces and, and it just kind of fell into place. Everybody was real supportive. And so I, I reached out and I used like the, the local, uh, veteran affairs office and everything. And we got 19 veterans together, uh, from Northwest Pennsylvania, Northeast Ohio and Western New York and freedom hunters, um, paid for the birds. And I doc donated some birds, freedom hunters paid for a catered lunch. And then I, I, uh, did a lot of, uh, begging and got some donations so that each veteran could get a, a gift bag. And like we had, we had an overwhelming response. I had with the 19 hunters, I had 40 plus volunteers. We had four wheelers all over the place running people around and just everybody was so happy to help local businesses and individuals donated. And, 
uh, go wild, donated some, some stuff, harvesting nature, donated, get out and go, go hunting, donated our local chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers donated. Uh, we got some free subscriptions to Onyx. So it, like I, I was able to put together a really nice gift bag for each veteran and it was an awesome day that you couldn't have asked for better, any better weather for March in Pennsylvania. It was started out cold, but nice and sunny and it warmed up throughout the day. Um, but we did a round of, uh, skeet shooting in the morning. We had the hunt and then we had a catered lunch and it, and it was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed putting it all together. And because it was such a su- success, like I wanted to do it again. So I, I actually became an official, uh, outreach coordinator for freedom hunters. And, uh, so awesome. this year, Congrats. thank you. Um, uh, it, 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 yeah, it, it, I, I really enjoy putting everything together and like putting the gift bags together and getting all the donations and it, it was something to look forward to. It gave me a, a goal for the, the dead of winter when it kind of gets, you know, after the hunting season's done, you don't have anything to do and gave me something to do. Uh, but this, this year we have 24 veterans signed up and we're going to do a round of skeet shooting again. Uh, and the hunt and then the cater lunch to follow and I'm trying to put gift bags together and uh, freedom hunters designed a shirt specifically for our hunt. It's going to go on sale on freedom hunters website. So anybody can go to freedomhunters.org and go to their shop and look for the, the Hartstown hunt uh, shirt. Do you know when it's, do you know when it's going on sale? Should go on pre-sale soon. Um, we're, we're trying to get some sponsors and cause we're going to put the sponsors logos down the sleeve. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool looking shirt. We'll, I'll, uh, put something in the show notes to, so everybody can see it. And yep. then a link to freedom hunters. And we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll throw a picture of it up on the, in the Instagram page too. So, uh, if, if you got a picture, as soon as it comes out, we'll, we'll throw one in there. So if everybody just keeps an eye out on, on the gram and on the, the Facebook We'll uh we'll put those links in there too. Um, once they do go on pre-sale and on sale, that way everybody can take advantage of that. And, and I got to say, this sounds like a really interesting program. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of one in Colorado. I think it was the Colorado's Veterans Project. I never been waterfowl hunting before, and it sounds like what you're talking about. They pair you up with someone who knows what they're doing to go out there. See, I was traumatized as a kid playing this Nintendo game called duck hunt. You might've heard of it. (laughs) You miss the ducks and the dog laughs at you anyway. Uh, so I wanted to get into it, but I was a little confused. There's so many different types of species of ducks. What can you shoot? What can't you shoot? Things like that. And it it became, it quickly became more than just hunting because you go out there, they're telling you what to do, helping you out. But the next thing you know, you're talking to people who understand vets and it's more like a fellowship by the end of it. So it sounds like a really cool program, and I'm definitely going to look more into it, Corey. Yeah, that that's what all I I didn't serve in the military, so I don't know that specific camaraderie. Uh, you know, you, you get it with with other things, but that's what everybody there was like. It was just nice to to get out and go hunting and have a good time with with guys of the same mindset. And I mean, we had most of the branches: Army, Marines, and Navy. And I don't know if we had any Coast Guard. We got Coast Guard coming this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you might uh, get some Space Force, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, that's what every, just everybody got together. You know, the army guys, you know, gave the marine guys a hard time and everything. But um, it, I think everybody had a great time. The word got out because last year it, I had a hard time because I wasn't affiliated with anybody, and so it was just this random guy going up, "Hey, I'm putting together a hunt. Do you want to participate?" So it was hard to get those 19 people, but once the it got out there. Um, the local paper did a, a story on it and got the front page of the paper and then the Associated Press picked it up. So it went nationwide, uh, which I thought was really cool. I saw it in like the Chicago Tribune and stuff. So I it's thought that really was neat, actually. Yeah, it's cool. And and so it, this year I had right after the event last year, I had a handful of guys already contact me. So I was I was ahead of the game from the, you know the start for the second hunt and it didn't take long. And I got, I got, cause I can only handle about 24 hunters because of the size of the property. And it, it just took, you know, just a few days and that all those spots are filled up and I wish, I wish I could handle more. Uh, but you know, in the name of safety, you know, I don't want to get too many guys out there. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And you, so I mean, we're, you, get, we're the, you get a lot of guys out there and it starts crowding the, you know, the, the quality of the hunt too. So exactly. So I think we're going to look into doing maybe uh, a two-day hunt or do like a morning and an afternoon hunt or something, get enough dogs and dog handlers out there uh, so the dogs don't get too worn out. But it, it was it was a great time. And I couldn't have asked for you know, for such a big event for in the first year that I put it on, you figure there, you know, something's gonna, bound to happen and, and be an issue. But it, it went really well, went really smooth, like, didn't really have any any complaints about it. Everybody was was real happy at the end of the day, and and so I'm really looking forward to to the hunt this year. We got a few sponsors. Uh, Allen Company is donating some stuff, and a, a local um, holster company has donated protective utility gear. Go Wild is uh, donating a few things this year. So still trying to get get stuff together to get a nice gift bag for each, each veteran. And, and our goal is to hopefully get, cause right now we're really relying on, on freedom hunters to financially support us for support this hunt. And our goal is to kind of almost be self-funded through local donations. We have, I started a Facebook page for the hunt, facebook.com slash heartstown hunt, H A R T S T O W N heartstown. So people can check that out, like the page. Anybody can go to, to Freedom Hunters and donate. There's a big red donate button up in the right-hand corner. And it's a Freedom Hunter. It's a nonprofit, right? So those are tax-deductible donations. Yep, they're a nonprofit. When you guys are done with the hunt, you guys all prepare everything there? Uh, we have a catered lunch. Um, and w- what we did last year is we had like three or four guys, you know, while, while the veterans were eating lunch, had three or four guys uh, clean up all the birds that everybody got. And just kind of like a keep everybody happy. Everybody got, you know, we try to divvy up everything pretty equally just so someone had, every hunter had something to take home. Uh, cause we had, we had chucker and, and pheasants last year and those chuckers fly pretty fast. And I know a lot of guys were missing. Uh, I'm, I know I would miss, uh, but, and then there were some, so, uh, we had two brothers, everything that flew out in front of them, like it just, fell on a heap they those guys were were on <laughs> dead shots and yeah and, 
Oh, and Heavy Shot uh, Ammo is a, a sponsor. They were sponsor last year, sponsor this year, giving us a a few cases of ammo. So we're thankful that we have sponsors like that. I'm sure the uh, the skeet shooting in the morning helps uh, dial in some of those guys in the afternoon or in the latter part of the morning. And I know. <laughs> Dustin, I can speak from experience. I mean, not maybe specifically us, but others in different services. Just because we're in the military doesn't mean we're always great shots. <laughs> so uh, some people need a lot of help, and which is good. But usually being hunters as well, you get kind of dialed in. Yeah, th- that was my thought too. Is, you know, I, I knew the chuck- chucker were a little faster than the pheasants and didn't know when the last time a lot of these guys hunted. So I was like, let's let's knock off the rust a little bit. and and shoot some clays first to you know build up some confidence and get get those guys some birds whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt at midwayusa.com we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns advanced scent control technologies and weatherproof options to withstand the elements hunters have to wait until their favorite season but shouldn't wait on gear which is why midway usa offers Super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. We had uh, veterans that were that had just got out of the military, um, that and were still in the reserves. And then we had some uh, Vietnam vets, and I think even some some guys that predated the Vietnam War. So we, I mean, we really uh, we had a really wide range of of ages and. And everything, so it was it was really cool to to be able to put that on. I think it's really encouraging to see throughout the country that I follow several of the different groups on on social media of the organizations that are helping veterans out. Um, and when I say helping veterans out, I don't mean like they're out there sort of holding their hand, but it's a good outlet. It's a positive outlet. Um, veterans have a lot of issues, especially once you leave the military. Uh, stepping out of into a new environment and you know those guys have seen combat and been in traumatic situations those those don't end whenever you get out so helping those guys and gals cope with those issues is, and using the outdoors as a good outlet for it is is a it's a really awesome thing to see and I'm, I'm happy to see a lot of these organizations pop up across the U.S. and really you know like I said provide some good solid positive outlets um for these these individuals so good for you Corey. and i i appreciate personally you know i think it's really awesome what you're doing and thank you you know just i wish the continued success of it and yeah i i don't know anything about ptsd or the military or what it's like to to come back from all that and try to go back to a normal life but I do know hunting, and I know how much fun it is. So I, I that that's the best way I know how to help. I mean, you're on the right track. So there's this group I'm a part of. It's called Irreverent Warriors. And what it is is they combat the stress through humor. They use humor. And they're just trying to raise awareness to end veteran suicide. Um, but basically, it's having someone there to talk to, to joke with, to laugh with, to, to redirect the thoughts from. And, and you're doing this with a subject everyone loves. Hey, we're going to go out hunting. But hey, while you're out here, talk about it, hang out, just relax, be yourself. We'll shoot some birds. If we don't, we already have some others. Everyone's going to eat, and it, it sounds like a, a really beneficial program. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, and even just, um, you know, the opportunity that you're creating to, you know, for you personally, 
and the different organizations and companies to connect with these guys, but also putting these guys in different from different age ranges or age groups that you mentioned, but just putting them in touch with each other because sometimes it's, it's helpful just to have somebody to kind of talk with and run things through. So that's really, really quality stuff. Yeah. We had a hunter last year. He's a Vietnam vet. He, he said he hadn't left his house for more, anything more than going to the doctor's office. And he was so happy to talk to me and come out and, and have fun. He, he had such a great time. I was so thankful. And it, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about for me anyways, just seeing, seeing how happy, happy that he was to, to be there, to be with, with other veterans. So it was, it was great to see. That's awesome. So not to make for an, an awkward segue, but, um, talking about all this, uh, pheasant hunting's got me thinking about pheasant recipes and, uh, pheasant dishes. Do you, do you have a, a favorite pheasant go to? Not really, no. Um, outside of this hunt, I'm not much of a pheasant hunter. Although my friend just bought or just uh, got a bird dog and started training her, so I might be doing some more pheasant hunting here in the future. I was la- after last year's hunt. A uh, couple of the veterans didn't want to take their birds home, and so I, you know, reluctantly took them. When I pulled them out of the freezer, it was in the middle of summer, so I wanted something light. Uh, you know, refreshing. Pounded the breast thin and put them in a cast iron with a little bit of oil. To cook them through. Cut them up into chunks and put them in a salad with like an avocado dressing. That was that was really good. That sounds pretty good. Pretty fresh. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing nothing uh, very technical or hard to do, but it was something quick and easy. Sometimes, you know what? In my opinion, sometimes those are the best meals. Just one they're like, oh, I got you know X and Y and Z and. I think I'm just gonna throw this together and and just enjoy it, just out of simple enjoyment. Might be home on your lunch break and not have much time. Dustin, do you have any any delicious favorite? Not for pheasant. Um, the best I can do is dove. I don't have a lot of experience in that, like I said, with with bird hunting, except for turkey. But with uh, with dove, as you know, very small. I'm talking grams of meat, right? Grams. So. That's an interesting unit of measure you chose. <laughs> but but. When you think about it, you hit them with a shotgun. Sometimes cleaning them might be delicate. You might get a good a good breast off it. You might not. I like jalapeno poppers. I like bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers, and I really like dove stuffed bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers. You so, and everyone else in America, right? Well, the good thing about it is it's so versatile, right? You can if you, if you're cleaning any kind of red meat, even squirrel, if you think about it. But back back to the dove, you cut it up. You can fit it in there. Peppers come of all different sizes. If you chop it up or if, or if you're uh, taking the breast off and it's ripped up, it doesn't matter. You stuff it in there with some cream cheese, some shredded cheddar mixed up. You can serve them in halves or you can put them back together and wrap them in bacon. There's m- many different things you can do. You can cook them in an air fryer. You can, cook them, you can grill them. So it's super easy to make and it tastes amazing. We put our I – di- I made – I got some chucker too – and uh, I did the poppers, but we put them on our uh, pellet grill, and those came out really good. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with poppers. I'm like speechless. I don't know. I I like poppers; they taste good. I just um, like I've always said, my my culinary range is from like comfort food to like try to get fancy, and it's good to make. Um, but it's like. God, the creativity level for me, it just, I don't know, it's great. But I hear everyone talk about jalapeno poppers. When I was a kid, dove jalapeno poppers, you'd think that was the only way to prepare them. I'm, I'm on a mission to 
share with the world that there are other ways to prepare dove. And I have two dove in my freezer that are about to get prepared. Well, yeah, I've seen you whip up masterpieces though, right? So, so think of your, your, you might not be the person in the family that goes out hunting, but your family members might, let's say it's your husband, your son or, or, or daughter or whatever. And you have the people that do go out hunting and they come back and say, here's all this meat we made. And I'm you not, might want to just whip something. I mean, I'm not quick. knocking them. I, I don't. <laughs> it's like a, I don't know. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I like them because they taste good. I don't know how much I care for them for other reasons. But regardless, I think that it's an important part of every hunter's repertoire to be able to quickly bust out some jalapeno poppers. I saw a recipe today, actually. I was browsing, uh, I think, who was it? Back Country Hunters and Anglers shared it. It was a fish popper recipe. I'm in, I'm interested. <laughs> you got my attention. Um, it was they were putting it out a plug for Super Bowl Sunday, and I didn't look into the recipe a little more. I just saw kind of the headline and the photo, but it it piqued my interest. Well, let's move into talking a little bit about some technical cooking talk, and this may be the point where a lot of people turn it off or a lot of people turn it up. We don't really know. So I wanted to talk about two things sort of braising and roasting because there is a bit of a difference roasting you introduce the meat to dry heat heat. yeah so specifically so braising uses actually it uses a combination of dry and moist heat um both so the easiest thing to think of is pot roast i mean i think just about every person in america knows what pot roast is and and has probably consumed pot roast at some part so you're looking for like larger cuts of meat and after the initial roasting of it or the searing, you're going to put that in some partially submerged liquid. And what's really cool about that is that you have this thing called the Maillard reaction. And that's a that's a chemical reaction that you get when you sear stuff or when you roast stuff, even when you cook stuff on the grill. That's what is giving... It, that nice little char, that nice brown, and that's the reaction between amino acids and the reducing sugars that naturally occur in the meat, and that gives you a brown food and also that like really distinct flavor. I think braising is probably an easy way to dress up just about any meat, um, just for the fact that you can use it on on cheaper, tougher cuts. You get those like really tough joints and connective tissues and fibers. So like shanks is a is probably the perfect example. So just about any type of shank you can braise and you're gonna get really good results of it. Also another cool feature I, I'm always really interested in is you end up with two different parts of a of a meal already. You end up with the meat product because that's what you're primarily cooking, but then you end up with the sauce. So whatever liquid that you're adding to the pot, you end up with that and sort of as that meat sits in there, it creates its own its own sauce for you to use later on as you plate that dish. One thing I like to do with that leftover liquid if I don't use it all for for that specific meal, I'll I have uh they're like they're plastic mason jars. I'll fill those up with the liquid and put it in the freezer and save it save that braising liquid for the next meal that i i braise that to add that that flavor to it it's almost like doubling down on your stock and re- reusing right. it you can see that i haven't thought about that i use i freeze stock but I, I use glass mason jars and i just take so if i do like for instance thanksgiving if i roast a duck roast a turkey which i usually do i take uh the carcass left over from that and whatever vegetables i use for clipping throughout the day 
and chopping all the ends, so your onion ends, your carrots, your potato peels, garlic, whatever, and all throw all at the end of the day, throw all that into a stock pot uh, with those carcasses, and I, I reduce that stock down, let it cook for a little while, and then and I freeze it and use it for soup for the rest of the like six months or so. One important thing about braising is why it works so well is because when you when you cook those really tough muscle groups and where you have a lot of fiber, a lot of sinew and stuff in there that at the higher the temperature that you cook them with, the more that they sort of shrink and retract. They shrink in both both length and width. So it's hard to picture inside your head, but if you were to have like a rubber band and you started heating it up and then instead of a really flexible rubber band, it became this really tough almost like wooden toothpick I guess would be the best thing so maybe not quite wooden toothpick but something more difficult to bite into uh than a rubber band which is probably not easy to bite into to begin with that sort of is what you see whenever you stew beef uh not just beef but venison as well anything really the game meat is that you you get that chewy texture after you've boiled it for a long time you can't rush braising. You got to make sure you have enough time to finish it properly. And then you want to be able to choose the right liquid. A lot of people use wine or beer or stock, uh, broth, just as Corey mentioned, reusing the braising liquid from a previous sort of doubling down. That'll give you a lot of really good extra flavors, uh, which I think is, is really essential. You do need a, a, decent amount of liquid in there and once you have that liquid you end up with collagen in it and collagen's really awesome it's a connected tissue that basically holds the muscle fibers and meat together and when there's moisture present when you're cooking it the collagen dissolves into a gelatin uh, which allows the meat fibers to separate easily so that leaves you with like that more tender bites and morsels in the meat it's allowing it to tenderize it so you versus when you're boiling completely you're sort of introducing a different preparation method that's that's not allowing that collagen to do the same thing as when you braise it there's a point where you can have too much liquid you don't want to completely submerge the meat you want just a little bit because you still want it to roast and get some of that dry heat exposed to it but also have that moist heat sort of get in there and cause that reaction that breaks down that tough fiber Really, when you braise, what you want to do is initially start off, I like to use whatever pot I'm going to braise in as the initial pot I sear in. So uh, I typically will use like a Dutch oven or something like that throughout the entire process. So I'll heat it up, add the oil, sear the meat on all sides as much as I can, and then I'll take out the meat, leave the oil, uh, maybe add some more oil in there, butter, and saute my veggies and then do a process called deglazing, which is basically like, you know, whenever you cook, you have all those brown bits down on the yeah, bottom of the pan. It all up. Yep. So when you deglaze it, you're pouring liquid in there that's dropping the temperature in the pan and sort of kind of, it'll Mix cause it like a little fizzle and it'll yeah. pull those brown bits out of the pan and add them into the sauce, which gives you a really good flavor for your your juice. Now, let me ask you this. If, if you're new to trying like in-depth re- recipes and learning these techniques, is there a good rule of thumb for the brand new person to go out there to say, all right, what am I going to pick for my, my liquid when it comes to red meat, white meat, you know, 
chicken pork fish you can braise in pretty much anything uh wine you can use stock like i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. just the creating those stock from different vegetables so you can you can also get stock in the store uh less preferable but perfectly acceptable beer works well that's a pretty common one so in my mind i think you know beer brats red wine dark meat like so you're saying that it's pretty versatile and you can use it all across yeah 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 you okay. can use juice I was reading up uh, on some recipes, some s- cider. You know, like cider. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, and uh, but like I said, you got to be careful with the. It's the key is the amount. Okay. So you don't want to put too much liquid in there to co- submerge the meat. Like I said, you want to try to use as little as possible, with also maintaining liquid in the pot throughout the cooking. So that's it's kind of a catchy. There's not a general rule of thumb because you're going to be dealing with different sizes and different cuts of meat and different cooking times. So you just kind of have to, I don't want to say trial and error, but you kind of have to work through and just be like, all right, I've got this chunk of meat. It's going to take me, you know, four hours to cook it or X amount of time. And within that amount of time, I can expect, you know, a half an inch of liquid. And the the important thing too is when you're, when you're braising, once you move from searing and, you're putting the meat and adding the broth, the stock, or the wine into it, is that you're introducing it to dry heat. So in my house, depending on the temperature outside, whether or not we're going to use the oven or we're going to use the the smoker outside, and both of those, well, the smoker is the Traeger. So with both of those, it creates the dry heat that we need to add to that. So it's not specifically being cooked on the stove top, once you get done searing it, you're putting it into the oven or into the smoker and you're going to let it cook there for the duration. And that's once it's covered, you're sort of help sealing in that moisture too, which is, which is adding into those reactions to break down that collagen. So what happens if you put too much liquid in? What, what are the, the cons of putting too much liquid in? So putting too much liquid in, you're going to end up basically boiling the meat in the in the liquid and that's gonna result you know how sometimes you you eat like beef stew and it may be Mm -hmm. like super chewy that that's the result of having too much liquid yeah yep so and that's kind of with this technique it's it's really key to to dialing in and being like all right we got to introduce liquid into this this preparation but not too much because we're not we're not boiling we're not making a soup we're making you know, we're braising it. We're essentially, if you think of a pot roast, right? You still have to expose some of the meat to that dry heat. And that's, that's key for the dish. So the cool thing with having the functionality of something like a, a Traeger grill is the ability to have that kind of oven like use, but also being able to double down as a smoker and then using in that, that method to, Say, hey, I'm going to braise some meat today and I'll throw it in the pot in the cast iron and, and go take it outside and put it on the trigger, but also introduce some unique flavors uh, into it through the use of the, the different pellets and wood varieties that they have. Probably one of the, my most favorite things still is just the variety of pellets that you that you can get and get access to. I recently started diving into the rubs and sauces a lot more that they have and I'm I'm pretty impressed with the both the quantity and varieties of of the rubs that they have the uses and versatility in that and then the flavor too. I was really impressed. I used the big game 
rub on uh, on some venison back straps that I smoked this this past weekend, and was was really impressed with the flavor. So uh, once again, I, I highly recommend the Traeger. Um, just all their products, all all the way around, from you know the grills to the sauces to the seasoning to the pellets. Like I, I have yet to be let down. Also, being able to use the Traeger for some roasting. So roasting is probably the most iconic and historical method of cooking. So we're talking about going back to the guys who discovered fire and the guys that hunted the first animal and decided to say, hey, I'm uh, I'm going to take this animal and I'm going to cook it over this fire. I'm curious to know how that conversation went or if there was a conversation, but regardless. I'm sure it had a happy ending if there was cooking something over the fire. Yeah, or maybe it was an accident as long as it wasn't cooking anyone on accident or purpose. Well, either way. Well, you talk about uh, roasting and you talk about waterfowl. You ever, uh, how, how much... Uh, Experience you have in roasting duck. I get a little experience roasting duck. I yeah. love some roasted duck. I do enjoy roasted duck. I have one duck in my freezer for this year, and I'm not sure how I want to cook it. So. I'm just a big fan of roasted duck. I mean, that's the key to my heart right there. Just the flavor. I like, like a, So I like my, my wings extra crispy, and when I eat it, I always go for the crispiest part of the Thanksgiving turkey, chicken, etc. right? But when you can, you have control to roast your own duck... Not only is the flavor a little bit better, but I try to make it as crispy as possible on the outside. You know, what's really important about roasting is is knowing when and how to roast. You know, there's a difference. What's that difference? So you want something, if you have a tender or thinner cut of meat, you're going to want to go fast and high. That's how I do my back straps. Fast, about 450 degrees, fast, fast and high. A little bit of olive oil, a little bit of seasoning. You know, I'm, I'm starting to find the more that I prepare and the more I experiment with backstrap, the more versatile a piece of meat it is. Because traditionally, I've always prepared it that way. About 450 degrees or as hot as I can get the pan or as hot as I can get the grill and just quick. And I'm looking for like rare to medium rare on the inside. Yep. But like I said, I was using that that Traeger uh, big game rub and I did it on a, uh, on a backstrap and I did it the opposite way. I did it for what, what normally people recommend for like the thicker or less tender cuts. And I did it low and slow. Like Dustin said about two twenty five, but I let it go for two to three hours. Um, and I was looking for internal temp on it. I think, what did I go with? I think about one thirty five is what I was looking for. So about medium, medium rare ish. And man, I sliced it super thin and it was just like melted like butter. Oh, it was man. amazing. Mouth watering. Yep. Always really important when you're roasting is, is allowing the meat to rest. So that's the hardest part. Yep. Cause you, you want to just all this work into it. It you smells amazing. Dig into it. <laughs> you're like, all right, I'm, I'm up my turn. Yep, it's like nope. Hold on, there, big shoots. Let's put some uh, paper around this. The other really cool thing roasting, I think, is um, the versatility to use different rubs and sauces and glazes and even stuffing. And uh, you think about turkey, you roast turkey, right? And stuff it with uh, with cornbread dressing, or um, if you're down in New Orleans, you get a merloton dressing, oyster dressing. That'd be a good whole episode on its own. It's different stuffings. Different stuffings. Oof. But speaking of 
recipes. I think it's time time for us to start talking about a little more of them. We've got some up on on Harvest in Nature on the website here, and uh, more specifically, we've got some braising and roasting recipes. Um, the first one I think I kind of want to talk about is uh, pheasant pho, and that ties into uh, Corey's pheasant hunt and the fact that it's cold in most places, not here, but cold in some, and I just like pho. So I've heard it pronounced, we had a conversation about this earlier, and I knew it was coming, <laughs> Dustin just looked at me out of the corner of his eye, pho, pho, and what was the other one you said, Corey? I said pho. Pho or pho, I said pho. Fum, fee pho fum. Yeah, so there's different pronunciations. I'm just going to go with what, what I'm used to and just call it pho. But it's P-H-O. And for those that don't know, it's like a, a Vietnamese noodle soup, essentially. And in this recipe particular, which you can find in the show notes, just like you find all our recipes. Uh, so Danielle over at uh, Wild and Whole and also Meat Eater contributed this recipe way back into 2016. And actually, I just saw it featured on her Instagram page here just a couple days ago. And uh, we had a quick chat about it. And I was like, funny enough that you mentioned it, because I was thinking about it too, because we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Danielle's really done a great job with all of her recipes, and it's been really cool to see her grow as a, as a chef and as a hunter. So it's really neat. This recipe in particular has a lot of really cool ingredients. So we're they're using pheasant thighs. Onion, chicken stock, some fish sauce, which you can also substitute with soy sauce, uh, roasted ginger, rice noodles, and then you're adding some seasonings, uh, some herbs and spices into your your stock that's going to get you that nice pho broth. I said it different that time. Uh, Cinnamon sticks, anise, whole cloves, and coriander seeds. So that combination is going to give you a lot of really good flavors. And that's those uh, four flavors are really key, especially the anise and the coriander, uh, to getting you that, I guess, kind of authentic flavor. To see somebody create pho from scratch, the broth is really impressive. Living in San Diego over on the West Coast, I live in a, a very heavily populated Asian community. And we had a Vietnamese store and they, they, uh, like a grocery store. So think like your neighborhood grocery store, but all they did was sell Vietnamese food and they had a a restaurant inside that made some pretty amazing pho. And they had giant, giant vats of it, like cooking in the back, which was really awesome. Helped, uh, add to the excitement of going to, to eat there. That's the problem with Northwest Pennsylvania. We have Walmart. And, uh, we have Wegman, but there's not a whole, we don't have those specialty grocery stores or anything like that. So when you're looking for something, you know, specific and, uh, like that, it's, it's hard to find it. You got to order it on the internet or something. But yeah, it's, we run into the same problems here. And I think that's one of the things I miss about living in a, a bigger city is the access to those kind of. I mean, you could be like, all right, well, this afternoon we're going to go walk around, uh, you know, insert whatever ethnic grocery store and just kind of explore. But if you have a lack of those, uh, there's definitely, you can either do, you know, as Cord proposed, purchase it on the internet or substitute something else for it. And if, if you 
get on uh, the internet and search around, you're you're liable to find uh, a substitute that's more readily available. Uh, but some common things that you're going to want to add to your pho, jalapeno is a good one, like a little spice, yeah. fresh cilantro and mint. In a different direction here from the pho and the jalapeno spice of the pho, moving to some Dijon roasted Hungarian partridge, also a recipe of Danielle's. This one's really cool because you utilize, it's not a big bird. If you look at the picture and if you search Hungarian partridge, this one is a really cool recipe because you're utilizing some root vegetables, which I'm a big supporter of root vegetables. Uh, Corey, do you guys eat a lot of root vegetables up there? Yeah, we uh, grew parsnips in our garden this summer. Man, I, I love parsnips. I do. Parsnips, carrots, leeks. Did you know that the leaves on a parsnips are, of parsnips are poisonous? No, I did not know that. If you come in contact with the leaves and in the presence of moisture and UV, it will cause a burn on your skin. And I learned that the hard way. Oh, man. Is it like a chemical burn? Yeah, kind of. I, I thought it was poison ivy at first. Uh, but then I got big blisters on, on the back of my hand. So, you know, I'm reaching in there trying to dig dig the parsnips out and i was getting these big blisters on the back of my hand did a little research and yeah the parsnip leaves have some kind of accretion or chemical on them that when mixed with moisture so the sweat on my hands and the uv from the, the sun sunlight it, it, yeah yeah it, it burnt burnt my hands pretty good i still that was in like august and i you can still see the burn scars on my hand oh man i hope, I hope domestic pets know to stay away from them yeah, I wonder if it affects them the same, if the hair uh, deters that, because it's technically like kind of creating a shield between the skin and the contact point. My, my dog would still probably eat it. Yeah. If you know my dog. <laughs> I didn't know that, though. I would just think I would just treat it like any other green. But that's good to know. I think that's a uh, that's a useful tip. Hot tip. Hot tip. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Talking a little more about this Dijon roasted partri- partridge. Basically roasting, so using the oven, uh, using a nice Dijon glaze on it, and getting it nice and extra crispy. Give them a lot of flavors with those root vegetables. Overall, I think it's pretty common to roast game birds. I think just roasting is pretty pretty tried and true way to go with game birds uh, i recently got into starting to smoke turkeys a little more and i've heard of people frying them i've never fried one personally so i can't really speak to that we fried our thanksgiving turkey this year do you think it's better it was good my wife did one in the oven and then i did one in the fryer and i mean they're both both moist but yeah i mean different different flavors the one in the deep fryer was obviously a little more the skin was crispier and everything but it it was moist it tasted really good something that does make me happy is cornbread dressing we talked about it earlier right and something that makes me even more happier with my cornbread dressing is roasted quail we i made this dish uh, a couple years ago initially for a magazine out of Oklahoma called Territory everybody that knows it's listen knows that I'm from Oklahoma. So it was really cool to tell a little story about bird hunting and make this recipe, which they shared. And then we later posted on Harvesting Nature, which used uh, six semi-deboned quail. And um, it was the first time I'd ever deboned quail. I threw up a cool little video 
um, on the YouTube. It's not of me deboning quail, but someone else that I use as a good reference. I'm not afraid to reference the YouTube to grow and learn, which is good. I think that's important. The availability of, of information out there is pretty incredible. So it's cool to get that and see. Your basic dressing is just using Jiffy cornmeal, uh, the muffin mix, and then adding in all your veggies. Uh, I threw in some squash, used chicken stock uh, at the time, and then mixed in some fresh sage, which really gave sage. it a good flavor. Yeah, and you just uh, you literally take your your quail and put on top of the dressing whenever you put it in the oven, and they sort of like crisp up together, so the dressing absorbs some of the the runoff from the quail. So it's pretty good. It's a good go-to if you if you're gonna have like a, a nice dinner party or have some family over, and you got some quail or you've been out quail hunting. I'm sure you can you know, substitute dove or just about any game bird to put on top. I was just just gonna ask, could uh, could you use pheasant? Do you think you use pheasant for this recipe? Yeah, I think I think you could definitely use pheasants for it. Just be careful with legs and stuff. They got a lot of tendons in them, and they're like the hard. They're hard. Uh, tendons i guess that's the term for them specifically in pheasants so you kind of have to eat around that but yeah i would recommend it for pheasants 100 percent. could you use uh a uh, breast meat for this or what do you specifically use like the leg meat no you could use a breast meat i would definitely i would recommend breast meat but doing it on top uh isn't bad it's just making sure you're checking the internal temperature and then the only difference is if you're getting if the breast or other pieces are too large, you may have to pull them off and finish them. Either begin cooking them early or finish them afterwards in a separate pan so you don't burn the burn the cornbread. Gotcha. That might be something I need to try if I if I'm able to bring home a few pheasants. Yeah. Uh, on this this hunt, I think it'd be great. Let me know if you do try it and and how it turns out. Definitely. Moving into sort of the tail end of the podcast here we've uh we've officially gone longer on this podcast than any other which is good because we had a lot to talk about dustin you have any misfires alibis last notes i do not let us know what you think about the audio is it better yeah hopefully Corey, any misfires alibis or last notes for the uh veterans hunt we'll have links and information in the show note anybody that wants to donate or help out or or if there's any Companies that want to sponsor, I am open to that. So contact me. We'll put Corey Corey's email address. will be in there as well, so you can reach out to him if you have any questions or comments. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, episode number five. So we're we're halfway to ten, which is a a good benchmark, I think. <laughs> um, like Corey said, our show notes are always available uh, either on the Harvest and Nature page or whichever podcast you listen to. All the recipe links are there as well as any other pertinent information uh, that we discuss on the show. You can also email us with questions at whatscooking at harvestandnature.com. We receive those emails. We'll answer those questions or get to those topics and uh, be sure to head over to social media. Look us up, Harvest and Nature, Instagram, Twitter facebook give us a follow and uh don't forget whichever podcast uh you're listening to us on whichever platform be sure to leave us a good review and uh if you like it if you don't leave us a not good review i mean it lets us know what we're doing either way but we thank you uh thanks everybody out there have a good night
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.